Genesis 28, beginning with verse 10, reading down through verse 19. The title of my message, The Place of God's Will. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Notice verse 11 now. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee to keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. You may be seated. Strange was the set of circumstances that led Jacob to this place called Bethel. He didn't want to be there. He didn't plan to be there. He had stolen his brother's birthright. He had deceived and lied to his aged and blind father. He was fleeing from Esau, who vowed that he would kill him because he stole his birthright. Here at Bethel, Jacob would meet God. He would witness angels ascending and descending in the dream that he had. Here at Bethel, he would make a covenant and he would make a vow with God. Often we come to some of the most important times of our life in a strange set of circumstances. We didn't plan it. We never dreamed it would happen that way. Divine providence has a way of placing us where we never dreamed of being. Even in Jacob's case, it was his misdeeds, his bad conduct, fleeing for his life from his brother's wrath that made him spend his first night away from home. Jacob was a mama's boy, tied to his mother's apron strings. He was not an outdoorsman. He didn't even own a royal range of pup tent. His brother Esau was the hunter. He liked to live outdoors. Jacob, no, he, he was a homebody. Now he finds himself 
away from home for his first night, out under the canopy of the blue skies, the sound of wild animals in his ears, afraid of what might take place, wondering what he had done to himself. Look what's happened to me. I deceived my daddy. He's blind and he couldn't know the difference and I made him think I was Esau and I stole my brother's birthright. And now I'm pillowing my head on a rock. I've made my bed and I must lie in it. Little did he realize that God would turn all of that set of strange circumstances into a meeting with God, into a certain place that he would never forget as long as he lived. I believe that you and I today, on this 26th anniversary occasion of ministry here at Evangel Temple as your pastor, I think it would be important for everyone to ask yourself a, a number of questions. Who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? What should I be doing? Because often what we're doing and what we should be doing are two different things. You and I must assess our place in God's will and purpose and plan for our lives. A week ago, Friday night, I spoke to the young adults and I spoke to them on the subject, if I could live my life over again. I read to them from Job 14, verse 1, where Job said, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. I read to them from Psalms 90 and verse 10. David said, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, which would be eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. When Gary leads you in that song again, I'll fly away. Remember, he's talking about dying. <laughs> well, that's not the song's intent. That's talking about the rapture. But here David said, we fly away means that we're rushing to the grave. Our days are numbered. Our time has run out. And we're cut off. And we fly away. You know that recently I celebrated my 60th birthday. It was uh, advertised quite well, the cartwheel, the handspring, the somersault, and all that goes with it. But I told these young adults, I understand being 60 has some certain things about it that makes you think uh, kind of soberly and somberly. If I live to be 90 and now I'm 60, that means I have lived up 66 and two-thirds percent of my life. Two-thirds of my life is gone. If I die when I'm 80 years old, I've lived 75 percent or three-fourths of my life already. If I should live and then die at 75, 80 percent of my life Four-fifths of my life is gone. If I should die at 70, then 85% or five-sixths of my life has already transpired. Chapters close. 
If I should die when I'm 65, and many people do, they never make it to their first Social Security check. But if at 65 I should die and I'm now 60, that means that I have lived 92% of my life, which is more than nine-tenths of my life already. Now, perish the thought, but if I should die at 62, the earliest that you can draw Social Security, that means that I have lived 97% of my life, and that's too close for comfort. <laughs> the Bible teaches us that our life is like the span of a man's hand, what he can reach between his thumb and his little finger. It's like a vapor that appears and then it vanishes, like a shadow that appears and then vanishes away, a mist that comes and then evaporates, like a flower that blossoms, and then it's cut down and withers and dies. God reminds us that our days are few. The brevity of life is addressed in the holy book. We fly away. Job says, few days. Well, my topic on that Friday night was if I could live my life over again. I told them that there would be some things that I would not want to change if I could go back and live my life over again. I would want to choose the same parents. If I had a choice in it, I'd want to say to mama and daddy, I like it, I want you to be my mama and my daddy. Young people, if I could live my life over again, I'm not ashamed of mama and daddy, and what they stand, stood for. They're gone now. If I could live my life over again, most assuredly, I would pick Pauline for my wife. If she'd give me a chance, we'd make it. I believe she would. <laughs> if I could live my life over again, I would certainly pray and ask God to give me Gary and Kay. And you never met little Stephen. He only lived eight hours. He was the first of our children went to be with Jesus. But I would want the same children. I would ask the Lord to give me Shannon and Sean and Jennifer and Justin and Jordan as grandchildren all over again. I'm not so sure that I would ask him to let me babysit for an entire weekend. We found out why you have them early in life. After 41 years of preaching and 26 years of being here, I look back and I remember six and a half years we spent as pioneer pastors in Demopolis, Alabama. We may have stayed there a little too long in our first pastorate, but we enjoyed those wonderful years pioneering a church in a town that did not have a Pentecostal church. Five wonderful years spent in Memphis, Tennessee as pastor of the Rugby Park Assembly of God, constantly building in both that missions church and then in Memphis. And then 26 years as pastor here at Evangel Temple. Now there are some things that I would not want to change and there are some things I would change. The things that I would change if I could go back and live my life over again, I would tell mom and daddy that I love them. 
I remember the first time I told my mother that I loved her. I was grown. I was out of college. I was been in, off in the ministry. We were home, happened to be there on the occasion of her birthday. I ran my hands through her silvery hair and said, Mama, I love you. It was the first time I ever said that in my life. I must have been 30 years old. If I could live my life over again, I would change that. I never told my daddy that I loved him in all my life. I loved him dearly, but I never told him. I told Mama that many times after that first time. Even on her deathbed, I told her that. The young people, if I could live my life over again, I'd do some things differently. And that's one that I would do differently. I'd let Mama and Daddy know how much I love them. I would dedicate more time, more quality time to my family. That is not to say that I begrudge the time given to the ministry. I don't think I'd need to change that. I'd still give the same amount of time to the ministry. But there were opportunities that I squandered when I could have made it quality time with my family, and I would like to change that. One thing that I would do differently is that I would get more college education if I could live my life over again. I would pursue more college education, especially history, <laughs> math, English, reading. I would be more patient with my children. I know Gary would like to pray and turn the pages back and let me live that segment over again. <laughs> I just hope that he learns that lesson well with his <laughs> and Kay likewise. But I, if I could change some things, those are some that I would change. There's some things as I look back that I know God helped me to make right choices in. One of them is being a part of the Assemblies of God. I love this movement, this denomination, I am not ashamed of its standards, of its beliefs. I love the government of the Assemblies of God. It's democratic in nature where people elect their own officers. They decide their business affairs. The minister is answerable to the congregation. He is not a god. He is not a totalitarian in, form of, in, in control of a form of government over a group of people. I love the discipline of the Assemblies of God. I love the goals of this great movement of evangelism, missionary enterprise, not only conventions, but I love the fact that we have people committed to evangeliz the evangelization of the world. I love the worship in the Assemblies of God. I love the different styles. I don't participate in all of them. We were in a service one time in a distant city on vacation and everybody in the church did a Jericho march. Well, we didn't feel the Spirit moving us and we didn't move. We didn't budge. I don't believe in doing a Jericho march unless you feel led to do a Jericho march. Now, you feel free to take off whenever the Spirit moves you, but don't expect me to join you simply because you feel that way. And we got a little sermon afterwards about those people who were unspiritual. But I love the freedom of worship in the Assemblies of God. I love the fellowship in the Assemblies of God. 
it discourages clans and cliques. We don't always uh, triumph in this area. Sometimes we see cliques and clans still around, and I, I've told you before, I just pray to God in bad English, poor English. I pray, God, bust them up. <laughs> I have a high percentage rate in getting my prayers answered in that area, too. Amen. Another thing that I'm thankful for as I look back today, as I look at my family and Gary and Kay, I'm thankful that we invested part of our money in Southeastern Bible College education for my children. What they're doing today, I believe, can partly be attributed to the influence of Southeastern Bible College in Lakeland, Florida. It's called Southeastern Assemblies of God College now. Then it was SEBC. Now it's SAGC. Well, I'm thankful that we invested part of our earnings in their education for Christian ministry. Not just a roof over their, over their head and meals and clothing, but an investment in their ministry. I believe that we made a right choice there. It's important to be at the right place at the right time. I felt a little bit like Jacob when I arrived in Jacksonville 26 years ago. Uh, we, we were elected on October the 4th, 1964, six, 64, right. And uh, we moved in November, actually. But when I arrived here, and I got on my knees on a Saturday night before the following Sunday, and I had left a beautiful church building in Memphis that we had just completed and dedicated. And, you know, we came here for a lower salary. I'm not uh, telling you that for any vainglory. But I, I felt, Lord, what am I doing here? I never wanted to come to Florida. I never asked to come to Florida. I never prayed this way. This is not an answer to my prayers. And I was frightened at the future. And I opened my Bible to this passage and God spoke to me as I saw Jacob's dilemma. He didn't really want to be where he was, but God made himself real to Jacob as he did to me as I knelt there that night. Jacob, look at this verse again. He lighted upon a certain place. Sounds as if he was kind of like a butterfly. And he lighted down upon a certain place. He tarried there in verse 11. He took of the stones of that place and he laid down in that place. Verse 13, God said, I'll give you the land whereon thou liest. Verse 15, I will bring thee again into this land. Verse 16, the Lord is in this place. Verse 17, Jacob said, how dreadful is this place. This is the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. Beloved, this bewildered, confused young man spending his first night away from home found this lonely wilderness turned into a sanctuary, into a paradise where he could walk and talk with God, where angels ascended and descended, and God stood above the ladder that he saw in the dream. This desolate experience became a gateway for him, for he said, this is the gate to heaven. Heavenly experiences 
We're now exposed to this man, though he found himself in a place he didn't want to be. And found himself in a place he had not planned to be. And verse 19 tells us that he called that place Bethel, meaning house of God. You may not like it where you are now in life. You may feel I didn't really pray this way and I wonder why God let things happen the way they have. Take it for granted. Don't take it for granted, but take it for sure. This Bible teaches us divine providence has control over a lot of things that we never realized could take place in our life. God knows where you are and you can turn that place into a Bethel experience. It'll become the house of God. Don't get sour. Don't get filled with self-pity. Don't get bitter. Don't run away. When Jonah ran away, he found himself up in the, in the belly of a whale. He didn't want to be where he was, so he kicked his heels up and, and fled in the opposite direction, wound up in the slimy belly of the whale. And if you do not accept what God's will is for your life, there are some slimy experiences ahead for you. Jacob was on his way to Haran, which was a place not known for their worship of Jehovah God, but for idols. The man's house that he would go into, sir, this man served idol gods. And when Jacob left there, his wife stole his father-in-law's gods. So he was headed for a place of idolatry. God stopped him on the way and introduced him to a heavenly experience and said, I better get you ready to protect you from all the idolatry that you're going to enter into. So when we come to these Bethel experiences, God knows that, like for Jacob, his wages would be changed. He'd be deceived about the bride that he was going to marry. Like he had deceived his father, he would get deceived. His father-in-law would turn against him and he'd have to flee there. Bethel was where Jacob met God. Now, I read a sermon by Vance Havener a number of years ago, and it was along the same line. He used a text in 1 Kings chapter 18 or 19, wherever it was that Elijah found himself at the brook Cherith. And the Bible says, and the ravens fed him there, being there at the right place at the right time. God sent ravens to feed him. God had a brook in a drought that would give him water. So the earth, God was obligated to take care of Elijah when he was there in the center of God's will. When you pull yourself out of God's will, he is not obligated to pull your chestnuts out of the fire. He is not obligated to save you from all the disaster that you're bringing upon yourself if you don't stay in his will. God will meet you at Bethel. God will meet you at Cherith or Zarephath, wherever he has commissioned you to be at that point in time. Elijah was running from Jezebel. He said, I want to die. Jezebel said, I'll accommodate you in that. I'll take your head off. People who think they want to die are not nearly as ready as they act like because by the time uh, the death angel starts getting close, they run to the doctor as quick as they can. They're not wanting to get out of here. That's why they take the pills and the tonics, and do the exercises and pay the doctor bills and go to the hospital. They want to stay here just as long as they can. So don't tell me you want to die. You're trying to stay here. You're doing everything you can to stay here. Elijah met God at Cherith. He met God at Zarephath. Jacob met God at Bethel. He had a dream in verse 12 and a ladder was set up on the earth and the top of it reached into heaven. 
I believe that this represents Jesus. It was set up on the earth. That represents the humanity of Christ. The top of it reached up to heaven. That represents the deity of Christ. And God spanned the chasm between man and God through the man Christ Jesus. He reached down and took humanity. He reached up and took deity. And he brought them together in the person of Jesus Christ. He's that ladder. He's that access to heaven. And so the top of it reached to heaven while the bottom of it was planted on the earth. Angels ascended and descended upon this ladder in Jacob's dream. And I believe that this has a parallel in New Testament theology when Jesus told Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 51, Hereafter thou shalt see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Son of Man, angels ascending and descending upon Him. And I believe that's the ladder of the Old Testament, Genesis 28. Jesus is our access to God from earth to heaven. The ladder was planted on earth, but the top reached to heaven. Angels ascended and descended upon that ladder. He's our access. And Jacob said, this is the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. Jacob's mission would be controlled by God from this point on. The Lord saw to it that he would not get involved in the idolatry of Haran. In verse 17, Jacob said, this is the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. So Bethel was a symbol of access, entrance into the glory world. Verse 18 tells us he built an altar. He took the stones that he pillowed his head on and he built a pillar, a memorial, a place to remember God. And he said, when I come back, I'll praise God at this pillar. And so he prepared a a means of worship to remind him that God had been good to him. I believe that this church, similarly, is a gate to heaven today. It has been for my family. My children have grown up in this church. They were in the second grade and the fourth grade when we came here. And they, they gave their heart to the Lord at the altar here at Evangel Temple. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in water. They became members of this church. They've been involved in ministry in this church. So I believe that this church has been a Bethel for my family. It's been a gate to heaven. My children, my grandchildren are entering that gate. The place of God's will is the house of God. It's a gate to heaven. It's an access. You may not like it. You may think, well, I... Like Jacob, I don't like it out here. I'm a homebody. I'm not one given to this type of thing. But Jacob found a revelation of God when he made himself available to God's purposes. I believe this church has been a gateway into heaven for many people, for many service persons, men and women, and for their families. The great military installation here in this area means that tens of thousands of people in the military live in this geographical area and many of them have met Jesus in this church and it's been a gate into heaven for them and a gate into ministry. It's been a gate into heaven for young couples. It's been a gate into heaven for singles and for older persons. The senior citizens, many of them have met Jesus for the first time in their life right here in this church. 
One year ago, I shared with you what I believe is a vision, kind of like Jacob had when God unfolded some things to him. And I at least can say there's some goals that we set up for this church for five years, five-year goals for this church. And I'd like to repeat them today. Not all of them, but part of them. Number one, I shared with you that within five years, and now then we're one year into that program, meaning four more years, we want to get out of debt. We want to pay off the mortgages and have a mortgage-burning ceremony in August of 1994. It'll take a miracle, but our official board has committed itself, our staff has committed itself, and I believe this congregation has to make that possible. And our board is working on plans. Everything we do, just like we just bought the, the minibus and we borrowed $20,000 out of the total amount that we had to pay for that bus, but we only financed it for four years because we want to be out of debt in four years. Any adventures that we take, we're keeping the time frame in mind that we feel like that this is important. During this five-year period and four years left, we don't plan to sit idly on the sidelines and wait for something after, but we want to continue to build, to remodel, to do anything that God leads this church to do. We want to continue the radio and television ministries. This is a day when many churches are scaling down and cutting back. Well, we haven't found that that's in our thinking. Our thinking is greater horizons, not cutting back. The need of this world is not dwindling, it's increasing. So why should we decrease our ministry? We want to continue outreach ministries to strengthen and enlarge the Christian education department, our Sunday school, the new converts class that will be opening up in a few weeks, the Berean Study Center that will be opening up in a few weeks. We want to double our missionary giving during these five years and continue to build overseas churches, not wait till the five years is over. That's not faith. We want to do it now. We want to plant five new churches with God's help in the greater Jacksonville area and continue to develop a major mission strategy for the time that when we are not in debt that we will be able to contribute large sums of money even above and beyond anything that we have ever been able to do in the past. Well, I'm going to close because uh, of the time. But one thing that I believe the future should be embraced in is we must continue to walk by faith. We put it on a large banner across the front of the building here. We walk by faith, not by sight. And friends, this church must never have a small mentality thinking that God has run out of money. or that. Now, I believe in... In the light of the economy, families, churches ought to be cautious. You ought to know that you're, you ought to pray about ventures. Don't jump in blindly buying cars and homes and properties and businesses and, and making investments. I believe this is a time to pray. Our economy is shaking. But it is not a time to doubt God. It is not a time to retreat from the task that God has given us. And so we must continue to walk by faith. Follow the vision in missions. I'm reading these verses. I'll ask you to stand. 16 months ago, 14 to 16 months ago, a person came to my office. I, I have great respect for this person. I don't agree with a lot of things they do, but I know they walk with God and I know they hear from God. 
This person said, I've been sent by God here to tell you something. And part of it's on this tape. It's a song. And there's a message in this song God wants you to have. And I have a message that God sent me to give you. This person gave me the message, was only there probably five minutes and was gone. No one knew of their mission. And to this date, my wife is the only person that knows the full content of what they said. But here is part of what the song taken from Isaiah 42 embraced. Behold my servant, I put my spirit upon him. I've called thee in righteousness. I will hold thine hand. I will give thee for a light to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. New things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And there were other things that are very uh, special to me that I believe God uh, reiterated to me things he had already said and they were confirmed to me and have been since then through other persons. One thing that I desire more than anything else for this church is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon us to break the yoke, set the captives free, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, open the blind eyes, bring life, health, healing, hope, blessings to people that are hearing so much negative things in the world and seeing so much trouble. They need the great position. And I want this church to, to be a place where people can come in and not be embroiled in arguments and dissension and gossip and all kind of backbiting. But they come here and they feel better after leaving than they did when they came in. They feel like I was lifted up, I was edified, I was ministered to. This is our prayer that people will come in here and find Jesus and find life and health and strength and go out of here charged and electrified and anointed to fill their own place like Jacob did in the ministry God has called them into. And I believe that every one of you have a part in that.